Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and Life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura. And for like the millionth week in a row, it feels like we actually have stuff to talk about. So um, we're going to start with our state of the MLB right now. Um, Morgan, I'm going to hand it off to you for kind of where we're at on the operations side of the house, I guess we'll call it. Yeah, so uh, they're about, I think... Today, as we're recording it, Sunday, um, two weeks left in the season, which is really weird. Um, they have actually managed to go what, 12 straight days without any positive COVID reports. Uh, 21, 20 of the last 21 days, that one day was when an Oakland player or personnel, because I don't think it was confirmed that it was a player, tested positive. Um, so that's good. The fact that there is two weeks left of the season and I literally thought the season was only going to be two weeks long is kind of a miracle. Um, so now the discussions turn to playoffs, how they're going to do it. They've been talking about bubbles. It's still not official, which is kind of ridiculous with two weeks left, but whatever. I mean, they took so long just to figure out how to actually do a season so of course this is going to take long too um they have um for the most part it's decided it just has to be approved by MLBPA and the biggest thing that I've seen that's holding them back is there's not apparently there it's not been agreed upon when families are going to be let into the bubbles because that's what MLB is doing it sounds like it might be um, during the championship series at the earliest and then uh, World Series, which is kind of what NHL is doing. They started this round if you were, um, if the spouse or family members were Canadian citizens. I know that I saw them starting let them in. So it's still like if you're a U.S. citizen, I guess you can't go maybe – I'm assuming that's going to change once uh, the issue um, is basically there is a whole big to do basically a lot of the NHL negotiating return to play involved negotiations with the Canadian government about getting NHL teams from the U.S. because of all of the rules around travel between the two countries and they made arrangements for the players but those arrangements hadn't extended to the families I don't know if that's going to change when the final comes but it's not right now so Right. So then the other issue that's holding players back is also the fact that so none of the all the postseason games would be in neutral sites. So like, for instance, the Dodgers going to the playoffs, they would be playing in Houston and then in Arlington. So they'd be in Texas. Let's say if they go all the way to the World Series, they'd be in Texas the whole time, which is almost a month. So if, like, families can't go until, um, like, the World Series, or even if they're not allowed in the playoffs at all, um, I believe the Dodgers also end the season on the road, so they do they would go, like, a full month without seeing their family, which I would also be like, yeah, that's tough. But then again, NHL has done that for all the players that are still in the uh, playoffs. They've gone, what, two months almost three now without seeing family um so I get that's also like 
an issue you'd want clarified before you approve of all the other stipulations. Um, but that seems to be the point that's like holding them back from approving it. Um, is that they just like they kind of negotiated this bubble thing at the beginning of the season, but since that took us so long, they kind of halted on it. And then now they're going back to it and trying to decide when uh, family will be able to go into those bubbles. So those bubbles will be um, – I'm the wild card series is the only part I didn't know, so I'm just reading this verbatim from ESPN. Uh, the wild card series is the top four seeds in the AL and NL would host all games in best of three series. So the four AL series would be September 29th, September 30th, and October 1st, if necessary. Um, and then for in, the four NL series would be played September 30th, October 1st, October 2nd. So that's confusing to me because top four seeds in AL – okay, there's – there are eight wild cards this time. I'm so lost now. I, I've tried looking it. at the playoff format, and it is so crazy because of how they're doing things. This it's just so right. bizarre. Okay, so there there would be four. There's four wild cards in each league. Okay, so then the top two seeds from each league would be the host. Okay, if they would have just said it like that, then I would have understood it better. But saying top four seeds in the AL and NL would host. Because at first reading that, I'm like, well, there's only four wildcard teams. So, okay, there's eight teams. Got it. So those would be the only games played at, like, a team that's in the playoffs home stadium. Whereas, so, like, the division series are going to be played in – the Rangers ballpark, the Astros ballpark, the Padres ballpark, and the Dodgers ballpark. However, three of those teams could potentially be in the playoffs playing, but the NL teams will be hosted at AL ballparks and AL teams will be hosted at NL ballparks. So that way it's like, like Houston's not playing in their own ballpark and that's an unfair advantage. Um, So the highest remaining NL seed would be playing at the Rangers ballpark, and then the highest AL seed would be at San Diego. Um, and then the championship series would be taking place ALCS in San Diego, NLCS in Arlington, World Series would be in Arlington, which kind of sucks because it's their first, the first season of this new ballpark, and yay, we get to host the World Series, but the Rangers aren't going to be in it. So that kind of sucks, but it's also kind of funny. Um I just also wanted to bit. make a point on, like, the whole home ballpark thing and why it's mm-hmm. a deal. So, like, in basketball, well, they did the Disney World thing, so it doesn't even matter. But in basketball and hockey, there are, like, very set parameters. And in hockey, it's not even just, like, this is how big the rank is. It's, like, this is the quality of the ice. And these are the tests we do to determine that. And there are all these very specific things. So while there might be a little difference in warmer climates from colder climates, in the middle of the summer, they're all warmer climates. So it doesn't mm-hmm. – it's almost – doesn't matter like there's not that much difference between different ranks so there isn't really and we saw this because both teams that had their home ice Edmonton and Toronto lost their first series the, the playing rounds and so there isn't really that home ice advantage to worry about in baseball because and NBA is the same way in baseball because there's so much difference between parks there really is well here's the thing 
that I also find interesting because so at, at first I was like, why would they pick Arlington? That's kind of weird, but I get because Houston and the Rangers both have uh, roofs and then Dodgers by like LA by September would be not that hot, hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, and then the Padres, San Diego generally has nice weather. So I get why they pick those stadiums. But the interesting thing is, let's say the Dodgers go all the way to the World Series. They would technically kind of have home field advantage playing in Arlington because they would have played the division series and the championship series there. And then I can't remember. I don't think I'm already blanking like this. You would think it'd be easy to remember a 60 games season, but I'm, I think they played two games in Arlington this season too. So really any team that plays in the West uh, in both leagues and end up in the, like let's, if it's Houston and the Dodgers again in the world series, let's just say that. I mean, they both kind of Dodgers play at least, what is that? Like eight games, at least eight games before the world series there and then Houston's going to be playing four games here at the end of the season. And then, like, they, they both kind of somewhat have the home field as far as how that ballpark plays. They understand it better. Whereas, like, it'd be really neutral if it was, like, an East versus an East or a Central and an East team because neither of them have ever played at that ballpark. So it'll be interesting to see if the West teams do better there. Uh, one thing I thought was kind of interesting, so compared to the NHL, so the NHL basically decided when they had their two bubbles, we are just going to completely do away with the divisions, and we just have East and West, and they're seated one through eight, and that's that. Like, yeah. we're, we're just completely forgetting the conference whole thing, even though that's usually a part of how the playoffs work. Mm-hmm. The MLB sort of did that mm-hmm. for, like, the regular season, in that, like, there's no everyone has DH and I guess that's continuing for postseason too but then it was just like these different sections east central west but then all of a sudden ALNL matters again went into the playoffs yeah and it's just very weird to me because it's like almost a little arbitrary because NL west teams have never played NL central teams this year even though they normally would most years yeah but they played AL west team it just it seems weird yeah, and it kind of – it'll be interesting. I'm assuming also in the playoffs that they're going to go with universal DH because that's what they've been doing all season. So I can't imagine they ch- suddenly change that for postseason. Um, well, can you just but, imagine a pitcher who hasn't hit all year gets hurt <laughs> hitting? Like, can yeah. you imagine, like, I, I don't know, Clayton Kershaw gets hurt hitting and everyone's like, right. okay, this is a disaster. Right. Um, it'll be interesting also to see – like as from a Rangers fan standpoint to see how many game, uh, many of those games they play with the roof open. Um, Rangers haven't really done well with the roof open. Um, the Rangers are still trying to figure out like how the field plays. Cause again, it's the first season they played there and they're only playing 30 games there this year. So still trying to figure out like how the field plays and how the different walls play. Like it's going to be, fascinating to see how other teams play it and how quickly they pick it up as well um there's also been talk about if there will be fans in the playoff at the playoff games it kind of sounds like there will be which I I mean football is doing it 
so I don't think all college football is doing it, but I've seen games where they're doing it. And I mean, it's one, two weeks in now. So I guess I don't mind depending on how it works for football. I will say college football is kind of its own thing because my sister, she went to Notre Dame and kind of knows a little bit about what's going on there. And she explained nearly all of the tickets for Notre Dame are students because every student who wants to go, they're guaranteeing can go. And they're seating at 25% capacity. So it pretty much has to be mostly students. And how they're grouping them when you see groups of students, those are students, a lot of them share a room or at least live in the same building together. And so it's like kind of they're doing the family thing just in a different way. Whereas you got to be, it'll be interesting to see how they would execute that for baseball. I think something that I always come back to, I think could be an X factor in this is if there's a wide availability of those five minute tests and Mm -hmm. they come up with a way to administer them such that we can have a lot of them. And then you can guarantee that the people coming in are not guaranteed, but have a very high likelihood that the people right. coming in don't have COVID, that is a complete game changer. Yeah, because I've only – I haven't really watched since NHL's been playing and MLB's been playing and I've been watching those games. I haven't really kept up with uh, college football, but I did watch um, uh, my alma mater, UNT, played last week, and it was actually on TV, and I could actually watch it because usually those games are not on TV. Um, and they were doing, I think, again, 25% capacity. Um, they were saying, you know, everyone had to wear masks, which kind of seems like it'd be difficult to mandate to make sure everyone's wearing it. But also you kind of have like the the cameras kind of help with that because if you're caught on camera without a mask, it'd be very easy to find you and tell you to put on a mask. Um, but then they were also saying how like they have a lot of um, hand sanitizing stations around the stadium. They also did like contactless uh concessions which I didn't really understand how exactly they were doing that but just that alone was kind of like oh that's good because one of the things we talked about very early in this podcast was like concessions and like all of like the concourses would be like one of the more scarier maybe not as thought out places because in the stands yeah it could be easy to sit apart from people if you have 25% capacity but then you're standing close to people when you're in concession lines or bathrooms whatever but I feel like if MLB can think that all through, that would be – it could work. And like you said with the uh, those quick tests, I know I read on like Dallas Morning News recently that those should be coming to Texas like very soon. So hopefully that would be something that they would also look into. And I think that – I a couple months ago, I would not think that was a thing that they should do, have fans and like – it work well, but I could, I could kind of see it working. The one thing I will say about the uh, college football thing is I only have the Notre Dame game because that's the only game I watch. But they're like, I think he's their offensive coordinator now, but he used to be a quarterback for them, Tommy Reese. He sat up in like the like upper skybox thing and like called the plays down on the microphone and he had one of those gators and suspiciously whenever the camera turned to him his gator was always down and then always miraculously that's when he pulled it up so either you have to believe that he was like sneezing or coughing right at the moment the camera turned on to him or someone was telling him hey the camera's on (laughs) you like pull it up (laughs) 
So that's yeah. what I looked for. Like anytime I had a football game on, I was like, okay, is everyone wearing a mask? Like I, cause I'm just curious. I'm like how many people, cause you know, you hear stories of like people walking into like stores and the moment they're in, they take the mask down. So you kind of wonder how many people are doing that at football games. And I was kind of actually surprised at how many people just left them on and like seemed totally fine with it. I'm like, yay, we're getting the hang of it here. Um, I will, I do want to mention while we're talking about baseball, uh, yes. the team that my, my mother gave to me, the Chicago Cubs, um, Alec Mills, who I think is one of the greatest stories ever because he was, he had to walk on at Tennessee Davis or it was like some super random, like it's not the volunteers. It's like some random Tennessee affiliate. He walked on there and was a 22nd round selection and wasn't even like a starting pitcher until this time until like this year through a no hitter for the Cubs. And um, I think they said the last time he threw a shutout was like an A ball, which is like, wow, it's crazy. So it was this huge story. And it was so cute because you could tell he was nervous in the ninth inning. Like he was so Mm -hmm. breathing heavy and stuff like that. And then he wins and he like sticks his tongue out because almost because he didn't know what to do. But then he's just like <laughs> so calm the whole time. Like most guys after all the nerves, they just like release it and celebrate. Yeah. And it almost seemed like everyone else was more excited than he was. <laughs> Maybe he was like in shock that he actually yeah. did it. Um, it was so cool. And then I, I did see that now the Cubs threw a no hitter and the only other no hitter the White Sox threw. So this is the first time ever that both Chicago teams have thrown a no-hitter in the same season, which of course, like 2020, might as well let that happen. And at least it's a good thing. Yeah. And it was kind of weird, you know, for him, it's kind of weird, like having the experience in the, like with no fans yeah, and all of that and how different it was. And even something like you don't think about, but it's kind of a deal. They don't have the like Gatorade coolers because they have their own yeah. individual thing, so they can't do the like tra- traditional like dump the Gatorade cooler on him and stuff yeah. like that. So all these just different things. It's so interesting. Now, okay, because I didn't watch the game because it was on at the same time as the Ranger game. Did they like hug or anything? Because like I would think like just out of pure like happiness and not really thinking about it, immediately your go to is like let's group hug. They definitely did that. They okay. that has not which changed. I'm okay with because that's kind of just like pure adrenaline happiness. You don't really think about it, kind of. And thing. they've been tested so much yeah. and stuff. So yeah, and like uh, it was a ground out to end the game, and so of course Anthony Rizzo had the ball and he he ran in, and they, they were all so excited, Aww. and it was really cute. And yeah, it was you could tell that especially for him. Yeah. Like in his story of perseverance and stuff like that, it was a really cool thing. So those are the best moments. And yeah, like everyone said, like if I, I heard the announcer say, like, you know, if you had like your pick of Cubs pitchers of who would throw the no hitter this year, I don't even know if Alec Mills would be on the list to pick from. <laughs> right. That would be one that got a lot of picks. Like you're thinking Kyle Hendricks, John Lester. You Darvish. Yeah. Like pretty much anyone. I said, I told my mom, anyone except Tyler Chatwood because he's a little bit of a disaster. But <laughs> anyone else, I think, would have gotten picked before him. So that's a yeah, pretty, pretty sure. cool story. So, yeah. Anything else you wanted to cover with the MLB? Um, the only other thing I thought of since I mentioned like group hugs and that technically being against the rules. Um, <laughs> so, the hill that I've chosen to die on this year is, uh, the only rule MLB truly has, which is 
if managers or players leave their spot to go argue with an ump and they come within six feet of that ump, it's an automatic ejection with a fine and or suspension. Now, rarely has it been a even an automatic ejection. Most of the time they've already been ejected, so you obviously can't do that, but I have yet to see anyone get fined for that reason. Recently, I thought about, I realized a lot of players still spit, which was also not the rule. There had been early on in the season where I was like, did I see someone chewing like sunflower seeds? Because that's not a thing that you're supposed to be doing. Um, I'm a real stickler for the rules here. Usually I couldn't care less, but you know, global pandemic. Um, and then I thought about this the other day and like pitchers are supposed to bring their own rosin bag to the mound. Every pitcher is supposed to have their own, which whereas usually in a normal season, you know, everyone shares the same one. And I was, try- I was trying to think if I had seen anyone walk out, like walk out with it. And I don't think I have, but at the same time, I forget to look for it. I so think, that's like one thing I'm, I'm I really going to pay attention to. I heard it mentioned once because I think there was a delay in a Cubs game because the pitcher like forgot to bring it out. Huh? Like a really pitcher inside so had to go back and get it and bring it back out. So yeah. I heard, I've only heard it once and that was a while ago. Because they mentioned it on the Rangers broadcast. I, hear, I think it was Saturday's game. I think he they had just randomly mentioned like each pitcher is supposed to have their own rosin bag and that like clicked in my mind I was like oh yeah but have I like it'd be easy usually to see a uh, bullpen pitcher run out because they have a glove in one hand and the rosin bag in the other but I was like you know what I haven't actually looked for that and I'm really curious now if anyone's paying attention because no one seems to care about the spitting rule or the high five rule so I'm just curious if anyone abides by that rule I'm just happy they're starting to follow the like maybe don't go everywhere when you're not playing rule <laughs> Right? Maybe just stay Not even roll. Right? Yeah. We highly suggest you just don't go anywhere. (laughs) That. Okay, (laughs) so go to the NHL, and we have the uh, conference finals going on. And first we'll start with the Dallas Stars versus the Vegas Golden Knights. And I think the story of that is Anton Hedobin. Because if you look at the shot totals, if you look at a lot of things, it would tell you... If you had, if you said, if we were told the games was three to one, it would tell you Vegas was leading three to one. Mm-hmm. But the actual thing is Dallas is leading three to one, and that's largely on a good performance from Anton Hudobin. And I wouldn't say it's on the bad performance from Robin Letter. I think Mark Andre Fleury played one game. I don't think it's yeah, on he, their. he did the first game. I don't think it's on their bad performance. I just think their team can't finish, and Anton Hudobin seems to be able to stop everything. Yeah. Um, which is weird because I, like I said, I was terrified coming into the series because I was just like, Vegas is just going to kill us. And in game two, was it game two or three? Two is what Vegas two. won? That was like, oh yeah, this these are the two teams I expected. I expected this Vegas team and I expected this Stars team because I think that's the game that Ottinger ended up coming in. Yeah, and really. Um, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, that was, like, the game was, like, oh, God, yep, this is what I expected, and I expected that to be, like, the turning point. Like, I really expected Vegas to just, like, run away with these games, mostly because, like, clearly we, the, the Stars had shocked them in game one, and I was, like, okay, so now that they figured it out, you can't really shock Vegas anymore, so Vegas is going to just start playing how uh, the Stars were playing, which in game two, Vegas really just started 
doing everything the stars were doing and used it against them and did it better. Um, so I'm shocked that they have this lead. I almost don't even want to talk about the lead because they did have that lead in the last round and they ended up going seven games. So immediately when they started talking, the broadcasters in like the second intermission of uh, game four were like, yeah, if the stars can hold on to this lead, that's a great 3-1 lead in the series. I was like, oh, so we're going to seven games for sure. <laughs> the thing I will say is the the – pattern of game three and game four felt very similar in that like through the first period and a half or so at least through the first period you're like Vegas is dominating but yeah. Dallas was just holding on and there weren't any goals so Vegas was dominating play but it doesn't really matter if there's no goals to show yeah. for it and or if there was Dallas would equalize it and then it was like almost like if they just held on long enough Vegas was like well we, what are we supposed to do? And then, yeah. then Dallas kind of snuck in at the end. And it, yeah. that's why it was, it was so interesting to watch the games. And, like, I even texted you during game four. I, I, was, I was bored to death. The Stars had six shots after one and a half periods, and it was only one nothing for Vegas. But it literally felt like it was 12 nothing. Like, I was bored. I was considering, I was like, maybe I should just go watch the office because the Rangers are losing 10 nothing. The stars are losing one nothing, but it feels like 10 nothing. And I just don't want to watch this anymore. And literally less than a minute after I texted you that the stars tied it. And I was like, okay, well then now I'm interested. Well, and that's the thing. It's kind of interesting when you're ahead, but you're not ahead by as much as you think you should be. Mm-hmm. It can oddly be like you're behind. Yeah. And that's what it, it felt like. I, I think just the fact that it was one nothing, and, like, I think at that time Vegas had, like, 12 more shots than the Stars did, I think what also – it just made me feel like, okay, at any moment Vegas is just going to score, like, three goals and we're just going to be in a huge hole and there's no way coming back from that in this game. So the fact that they tied it and then, you know, won it was kind of, like, really bizarre, like, a happy bizarre, but it was, just like, not the outcome you expect because – it just seemed like Vegas had so many opportunities, which obviously give it to Dobie because he made some spectacular plays. And had it been anyone else, I think it would be for nothing. Yeah, and that's it. He really is. It's a ma- an amazing story because he hadn't played any playoff games before this year. And he's a pretty veteran goaltender. And I think that's it's really remarkable. And just who he is and how how good of a backup goalie he is, not just from the stats point of view, but as like the supportive character who understands his role and is really not bitter about being a backup. Yeah. For him to have this moment and to really shine in the moment is is just so exciting. Yeah, for sure. So the other game, the other series, oddly enough, is 3-1 as well. And it is Tampa, New York. And Tampa is ahead 3-1, which I would say not just from the going in prediction, but also from the look of the play makes more sense. I would say Mm -hmm. Tampa looks better than New York. And I think the thing about Tampa that's interesting is the one game they lost, Braden Point was out. And I think he's the, the, he and that, he, Point, Kucherov, and Hedman are like the keys for the whole thing. Um, And last year when they lost, Hedman was very injured. And so it was almost like they didn't have him, and that makes a huge difference. 
And so not having point that one game, it, it made sense that they lost because it's just so many losses to try to account for. But like people, people like, I know he got suspended that one game, Alex Kalorn, but Blake Coleman this game had a big goal, the game that was played today or yesterday as you're listening to this. Um, there's just so many it seems like a lot of the supporting players are making an impact too. Now, obviously, Brain Point has a lot of ironic points. Um, Nikita Kucherov does. Of course, Victor Hedman does. But, like, it's the whole team is really buying in. And I think that's interesting. And just another thing that I need to hit home about, I really need the announcers to stop talking about Vegas's fourth line and New York's fourth line because they always talk about like identity line and how important they are and how essential they are and all of that. And if you look at their statistics, they ain't great. Like when they're out on the ice, the team is not doing that amazing. So like, no, sorry. Like I think New York's has more of an argument because statistically uh-huh. they're probably one of the better fourth lines, but they're still a fourth line. Yeah. And can I just say, as someone still fairly new to hockey, like this is second season, I had no idea that Ryan Reeves was not like a first or second line player based on the way that they talk about him. I had always thought, I was like, oh, clearly this guy is like first or second line because he's all I ever hear about when Vegas is in town or I'm watching a game with Vegas. So to find out that he's not like a top player is insane, which also makes me just as annoyed as Jamie Benn was every time I hear his name because it's like, in the last round, all they talked about was Nathan McKinnon. But I kind of got it because Nathan McKinnon is a great player. So it was like annoying, but like, fine, okay, I guess it makes sense. It's Nathan McKinnon. This round, all I'm hearing about is Ryan Reeves, and I hate it because it's like he's not even a top player. And the thing that's annoying, because we trade, the way he ended up in Vegas is because we traded for him and we traded way too much for him from St. Louis, we being the Penguins. And then um, in the Derek Broussard trade, Vegas needed to accrue some salary. And in order for it to work, we had to send something back. So we sent Ryan Reeves back in exchange and then they've liked him and kept him. But he was brought in to Pittsburgh after we won this series, like our second Stanley Cup because they decided that people were pushing us around too much. Never mind the fact that we just won the freaking Stanley Cup. People were pushing <laughs> us around too much and allegedly having Ryan Reeves on the fourth line who would fight some random dudes was a deterrent for when for people hitting Sidney Crosby. Now, I could see it if that was like the reasoning behind and I actually liked and was sad when we traded Jamie Alexiak because Jamie Alexiak mm-hmm. is tough and will fight and is also a decent defenseman who could theoretically be on the ice at the same time as Sidney right. Crosby. When is Ryan Reeves ever going to be Sidney Crosby's winger? Right. Never. <laughs> Literally never. So no, like it doesn't make sense. So yes, I just need that to stop because it's <laughs> kind of devoid of logic, but it's the old hockey man mentality of course. And so the other thing was I wanted to go through some of the awards because what they're doing since I can't have an award show is they're kind of announcing the rewards one at a time. Mm-hmm. The first one is the Masterton Award, Bobby Ryan. I don't think we need to talk about that a lot just because it's a great story and there are no losers in the Masterton Award because one of the other candidates was Oscar Limbaum. It's like perseverance. They're all great stories. 
congratulations. This is the one that Stephen Johns was also. Yeah, Stephen Johns for, and then Bobby Ryan uh, entered in the player assistance program for an alcohol problem. And so all of those players deserve a ton of credit and have gotten a lot of recognition. And like I said, it's no real losers in that award. The next one is the Selkie. And I freaking hate the Selkie because it is supposed to be the best forward defensively, which like if you're straight up looking at it, Zach Aston Reese on the Penguins has a real good case and like a lot of the numbers nerds will tell you he should be up there. But he scores zero, like no points at all. He is just not an offensive threat at all. And it's supposed to be the best like forward who scores points who also plays defense which is such a stupid award. And then it's also like Patrice Bergeron until he retires is always going to get nominated no matter how good he is. And then like Ryan O'Reilly, because of how the blues did, he was a given nomination. And then people kept saying that Sean Couturier is a future Selkie winner and he needed his props and he was getting shorted. So then he's nominated and ultimately wins it this year. And I just, it's, it's an award I can't really evaluate because I don't think it's remotely given based on what it's supposed to be. And I don't know any of these awards. It's the first time I'm so, hearing half of these people. I also, I'm like, I don't know who these people are. They haven't given it out yet, but the Norris is the same because it's supposed to be like the best defenseman, which is kind of an overall thing because it's not just who plays defense, but offense is also part of being a defenseman. But it just goes to like the guy who gets the most points, even if he's like terrible defensively, which is kind of dumb. Now. One on the other side of things, one I wanted to give a little bit of props to, the Jack Adams, which is the coach of the year. Mm-hmm. Usually it's the, hey, your team did better than we thought they would award. <laughs> and this year it went to Bruce Cassidy of the Bruins, which is very not that. And I really yeah. give them credit for that because whether or not, like, I think you can argue the semantics of is he, is he the best coach, it shows that they're willing to at least look beyond the, hey, your team outperformed expectations. So I really kind of liked that change mm-hmm. in development, that the new development in this award criteria, apparently. So that was a good thing to be seen. I personally would have given it to Rick Bonus. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, the one I had, uh, uh, King Clancy went to Matt Dumbo, which for leader it's like for leadership and those kinds of things and I think that is yeah very yeah um Lady Bing which is like gentlemanly and sportsmanlike and and whatever gentlemanly conduct is part of the thing but I have issues with the nominees I have issues too okay here's the thing it doesn't mean gentlemanly conduct it means the forward, because defensemen always are prone to take few penalties, the forward who basically has no penalties. That's deemed gentlemanly conduct. Never mind that, like, Jacob Slavin is one of the world's best defensemen and somehow only takes, like, four penalties a year, despite the fact that he's always against top competition and all of that. But because he's a defenseman and therefore has to take, like, more than one penalty, is never eligible. And also, okay, Jacob Slavin very very universally re- respected as like a good guy he and his wife uh, adopted in uh, a black daughter and so he has been a huge part of speaking up and is a part of some of the committees and all of that uh, as part of nhl's response and like has actually been pushing the conversation forward a little bit so like actually kind of represents a lot of what this award should be and then we get austin matthews what before this season the guy like 
it was the complete opposite of a gentleman. Yeah. And then Ryan O'Reilly has some bad comments and stuff in his past. That, I mean, I can at least, like, maybe if you would grow and stuff, because it's been, like, at least a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Austin Matthews, it was right before the start of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do we have that much goldfish for brains that that's what we're saying? Uh, but so then, basically, by default, Nathan McKinnon won. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, if of the three nominees, he kind of had to win. So Yeah. But, yeah. Dumb. Again, an award that is not at all what it says it's supposed to be. Then the last one I wanted to talk about was GM of the Year. And I kind of hate this award, too. Mostly because if you look at a lot of, like, what good GMs do, it's not going to pay off until a bunch of years later. So, like, if you look at what Lou Lamorello did, he didn't do much in the offseason. He didn't sign Robin Leonard, which most people say was a mistake when he took Semyon Varlamov over him. But it's a lot of what he did in previous years. So... It's kind of like, hmm, that's an interesting, like, way to award it. It's not so much for their performance this year. It's their team performed really well. And so they must have made some good moves in the past. What team is he? He is the Islanders GM. Okay. Interesting. Which, which like, yeah, they have made some good moves, but it, not, not a lot this year. Yeah. And, like, I would say but actually, Jim Nill has a decent argument because they signed Joe Pavelski. And I think that one, like, Corey Perry, people lumps them together. No. Uh, But (laughs) signing Joe Pavelski was huge for this team. Because I I think you you can easily say they aren't where they are without that. So that was, like, an interesting one. But I think, like, if you look at the moves that were made this year, like, it's probably different GMs. I'm not sure exactly who. But you, you kind of have to look at some of the rebuilding GMs, perhaps, um, stockpiling assets, those sorts of things. But yeah. they will get it after they've made all those trades years later when their team is good. So it's just kind of a, it lags the actual GM's achievement kind of thing. I almost feel like Vegas GM yeah. should have been just because they're, they've not been a team that long and mm-hmm. look how well they do in the playoffs. And that's, um, it's an interesting thing because their original GM is, was, um, oh God, what's his name? He used to be the GM of uh, Nashville and Washington, I believe. But um, now it's Kelly McCrimmon who took Uh over and that guy got moved into like vice president of operations and stuff. Basically, he lets Kelly McCrimmon make all the decisions now. And so it's kind of interesting to see how Vegas has evolved. And they made some dumb decisions, but they made enough right ones and basically found enough of the suckers that were GMs to like buy the right, like Florida single-handedly made their team. Like, so they found enough bad decisions that they could kind of live from other teams that they could make some bad decisions of their own. Yeah, it's kind of interesting in that regard. Like, I would argue maybe one of the ones that could have been considered this year um, is uh, Mark Bergevin, who's the GM of Montreal, just because, like, he trade Vegas traded a first, a second, and a third to Detroit, I believe, for Thomas Tatar, and then Thomas Tatar was thrown in with Nick Suzuki, who's like a great like center of the future for them, second line center kind of thing. But he was just a throw-in in in the Max Pacioretty trade. 
and is like one of their best wingers now and all of that. And mm-hmm. so he got such great value for Max Pacioretty and all of that kind of stuff. So I think he's doing well, but you're not going to, if he's, I think he's going to be nominated a few years later kind of mm-hmm. thing. So that's kind of the interesting thing about that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was two trades that happened. One I think is a little less interesting and a standard trade that you would see any year. And one I think is more indicative of what's going on in this season. So Carolina traded Joel Edmondson to Montreal for a fourth round pick. Now, Joel Edmondson is way better than a fourth round pick, but Joel Edmondson is an impending unrestricted free agent. So basically what Carolina gave Montreal was exclusive negotiating rights with Joel Edmondson and I think it's fairly safe I I don't know for sure there's no information out there but I would assume that Joel Edmondson is going to sign with Montreal because if you look at Montreal their number one left defenseman which is what Joel Edmondson plays is Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson is better than Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson is not a number one lefty on pretty much any team so the fact that he is that high because Mm -hmm. Montreal has such a lack of depth at that at that side. They have a lot of good. They have two really good right defensemen, but they don't have very many like good, truly good left defensemen. It kind of fills both their needs. Like it gives him a home, it gives him some security, that kind of thing. So I think I think he will legitimately sign there. But that's like you see that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin Hayes. Uh, that happened with uh, Winnipeg traded him to Philly for exclusive negotiating rights for like a late round pick. That stuff happens from season to season. What I thought was interesting was the Penguins, my team, of course, trading Nick Bukestad. Now, the Penguins have been, it's been told by pretty reputable sources that they have, they need to dump salary, like actual dollars out the door to save money because they kind of run based on what they bring in and obviously they're going to bring in a lot less this year than they had planned so what they did is Nick Bustag I believe makes just over four million dollars they traded him to the Minnesota Wild for a conditional seventh round pick now if that was just a trade I don't actually hate it because we're basically like we might not get the seventh round pick I don't even know what the conditions are but it's something about how many games Bustag plays and stuff like that but whatever even if we get it, it's kind of a nothing pick. Mm-hmm. We're basically giving like bad stat away for nothing, but what we're getting in return is the cap space, which can be used for other things, um, gives them a lot of flexibility. And Nick Bukestad hadn't really done much for the Penguins because he'd been injured, all of those kinds of things. The thing I hate is we retain $2 million. Now, granted, it's only for a season, but that's just $2 million in like dead space. Yeah. And I kind of hate it. But I think it is a sign of how much of an asset, one of the single greatest assets this season is going to be cap space. And usually cap space is something you can use to like get back, like like you want to take on bad contracts or things like that as a bad team. But a lot of teams just because of budgetary reasons. And so I think it shows like you could see Montreal, Boston, Chicago, Toronto even being big players in that regard because they are the ones least impacted because they make so much money. Gotcha. I'm still cap and all of that. I'm so glad baseball don't have that. But then again, at the same time, I'm like, if they did have it, maybe I would understand it better. I was I, the luxury tax is way beyond me, but <laughs> the the cap things, I still don't fully understand what teams are gonna do. But it's just kind of an in, in little window of like they're going to do something. They're all gonna jockey, and it's gonna involve 
more than it's like the GMs are ultimately going to make the trades, Mm -hmm. but the cap that they take on or offload is going to be from the other side of the house. Like the owners, the business people and all of that who are determining how much money they have for payroll, which is usually not a thing except for Ottawa because their owners are always cheap. But, (laughs) but besides that, it's going to be very interesting to see how that all works out. So with that, I thought we would go to rant and rave and I thought we would start off with a rant because I think we're just going to do a a communal rant this time and sorry that's right yes this is going to be an explicit episode I'm just going to warn you right now because I'm going to say fuck Skip Bayless like that's the theme of the rant he is just horrible and not only that but he's the kind of horrible person who can't even own when he's wrong he says I'm sorry you're offended and it's just like fuck off with that so if you don't know um oh god I'm forgetting his name Dak Prescott Dak Prescott yes quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys lost his brother to suicide and then of course pandemic lots of stressful things and kind of admitted that it's been a real struggle for him throughout the quarantine and he's felt depressed and all of that and I can't even begin to say what Skip Bayless said because he basically said too fucking bad like we expect more of you that's no excuse like fuck off and everyone told skip okay well you can fuck off because that's wrong like categorically you're wrong and a horrible human being any both of those things pandemic losing brother both those things are very legitimate reasons to have a lot of depression and even like separately but to have them very close together it's very stressful and anyone can understand and it's a good thing that he's being open about it because that allows him and his team to come up with a plan that works. Right. And for some reason, Skip Bayless thought he had a right to be offended about that or be upset. And then when everyone was offended, he's like, well, I certainly don't. Like, if you, if you, if you have depression, I've always said you should get help. But he stipulated clinical, clinical depression. depression because pandemic depression is a different thing. And he doesn't know that. He's not a mental health professional. But also, okay, like, if you have clinical depression and have had it for years and then don't get help until later on, which is kind of what he's, like, saying he's upset at Dak Prescott for, then he would be upset with you. So it's, he only tells you to go get help if it's right when you had it. Otherwise, you just have to tough it out. Like, come on. Yeah. And from what I got from it is he seemed like he thought Dak was trying to use um, depression as an excuse to not being good or giving his all in practice, which the season hadn't even started when he was making these comments. So I don't understand how he would even know that, but also like (laughs) depression is like a mental but also a hormonal thing. Like you don't, there doesn't even have to be a reason for you to just mm-hmm. feel depressed. Sometimes it's just like anxiety. Like it, it's just chemical imbalance in your brain that you can't explain. So like even the fact that he was like, I felt like he was making a point of like saying you have to have a reason and that reason has to be legitimate to be depressed. And if I don't think it's legitimate, you can't be depressed and blah, blah, blah. And like, Everything about what he said is so, like, damaging. First of all, I don't know who listens to him and, like, is like, yeah, he's, he's, mm-hmm, everything he's saying, perfectly accurate. Yeah, I gotta listen to him. 
But, like, on the off chance that, like, I don't know, like, a kid who doesn't know that they have depression and just thinks, oh, maybe I'm just, like, feeling sad about stuff, like, hears him and is like, well, I guess I don't have clinical depression, so I guess I should just, like, suck it up and move on, or, like, it just... But also, okay, to his point about using it for an excuse, like, an example that's coming to my mind, and I'm not saying he used it as an excuse because I don't even Mm -hmm. think he claimed to have depression, is Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown came in after all that he'd done and said, I have depression, yes, maybe he doesn't have depression, but it's pretty fucking clear he's not all right. Something Mm -hmm. is really wrong with him. And so him saying, even if what he's saying he has is not what he has, he still has something wrong and he's admitting that to you and he wants like to get help and get better. And it's not an excuse because whatever Dak Prescott has He's saying he wasn't all right. Right. And that isn't like, that is true. And the team, like there's nothing they can do about the past. They want to move forward and help him and help themselves. It just kind of seems like a pointless thing, distinction to make. Yeah. And also like admitting you have anxiety or depression is like really hard at times. So like for him to even like, have to like say it and not only say it to like just like family or friends or like his boss or people at his work like he clearly the whole nation knows about it now and then for Bayless to just basically brush it off and be like yeah he's just using that as an excuse whatever suck it up or whatever you should have gotten help no one feels bad for you kind of a thing is just so like Why would any, like, the whole point of, like, when someone speaks out about, like, having depression, it's, like, it also, like, lets other people know that it's okay for them to speak out, but then if you're gonna say, like, you should have spoken out sooner, who's gonna want to talk about it then? The one thing I will say really did my heart good is that pretty much the entire internet said similar things to what we're saying, different ways, all the same message, which is good. The one thing I'll say that makes me feel bad is if you're Fox Sports, how do you let Skip Bayless issue that apology? I get that maybe you didn't know he was going to say what he it said. It wasn't even an place. apology. There yeah, was no apology. How do you let him go to air with that as the, like, cleanup? You should have, like, listen, Skip. You fucked up. Everyone is saying it. We got to clean this up. Here is exactly what you say. I don't care if it sounds like you're reading it. Read it. You say this. Or you don't say anything at all. Is his PR person the same as the Astros had? Because I'd be, it sounds like it. Oh my god, it might be. Yeah, it's it's just like because oh his, his like what well, even what he said was I was told that my words were misconstrued by you guys is essentially what he said. He didn't even say I saw that my words didn't come across clearly or any somewhat of a, an apology. It was I was told that you guys misinterpreted my words, and it's like no, we heard them perfectly clear. And yeah, and it's like you you didn't hear us. We heard you. You didn't hear us. And so, yeah, that's fuck Skip Bayless. That's, that's the TLDR of this whole thing. Yep. And he really shouldn't be on the air because I think the, that shtick is over. I'm s- Anyone who's yelling into a microphone just needs to not be listened to. And it's always like yelling these very simpleton takes. Like it's yes. nothing, anything interesting. It's just always these like super simple, dumb takes. Like, I, like, who watches it that it's even on TV still is my question. Like, because everyone I've ever seen talk about it is talking about how much they hate it. 
Yeah. Which, okay, don't hate watch it. Yeah, don't do that either. Please, please, like, don't, especially tuning into ESPN. I saw the clip on Twitter. I don't think that's making ESPN any real amount of money. But yeah. please, please don't hate watch to, like, find things to pick out because that just lines their pockets. And the only time I ever saw it was, like, in at the union at UNT when I'd get there super early in the mornings to just chill before class and it was on and I immediately had to put my headphones in because I was like it's too early in the morning to hear people scream at me. I loved it too and it's on in like dentist office or something and it's on mute and so you're just staring at them like this is completely not compelling. It's not compelling when it's unmuted but it's even less right. compelling when you're they're just angry men. <laughs> <laughs> we should just rename those shows. <laughs> Angry men yelling. <laughs> yelling, yelling at the clouds. <laughs> so, anyways, rave time. Do you want to go first, or do you want me? Sure. To go? Um, my rave is the star social media lately. Um, I believe the person doing their social media in the bubble is Jeff Totes, who does like the open ice videos. He's he's the one that does those. Which, if you haven't watched those. You need to because they're freaking amazing, and I wish every team and every sport did those. Um, but I'm pretty sure he's the one that's doing social media from the bubble, and it's freaking fantastic. Um, the other night, the when Vegas lost, Vegas tweeted, "Please send dog pics," and the stars replied to them with a picture of Snoop Dogg wearing a Dallas Stars jersey, and I, it was just perfection. And the fact that it's not even a photoshopped Snoop Dogg picture it made it. 10 times better um they did I, I don't know if it was last or Sunday's game no Saturday's game um when Vegas tweeted something like oh they're gonna challenge this typical Karen or something like that and stars just replied no this is Patrick which it's perfect consider especially because like I <laughs> I went deep on this. I was like, oh, yeah, Patrick's a starfish. Dallas Stars, starfish. Makes sense. I'm sure it wasn't that deep, but in my head, that's just where I went. Um, But it's just been, like, very, like, simple tweets, but they're very somewhat petty. Um, And the Jason Dickinson thing. What was that? When he reunited with his family. That was the single greatest thing. Oh, that was, um, that was in Dickinson. That was, um. Oh, Oh my god, I just blinked on his name. Oh, we'll get it. <laughs> we'll come back to that. We'll <laughs> tell you who the name was. I'll look it up on Instagram. Or on wow, Twitter, he, I, guess. I could, Dowling. 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 Justin Dowling. There yes. are too many people. Okay. There are okay, too you many got the initials the right, though. JD. That's what I was going to say. There's too many people with the same initials. I could do that all the time. <laughs> but that was really precious. Um, although it did kind of, when he asked his daughter, do you remember me? Part of me was like, oh, that's cute. But also I was like, oh, that's sad. It's so sad. But <laughs> there there have been some great, great, great videos. And it's it's been yeah. cool. And like you show, you sent me the like finish thing. I yes, the Finnish Mafia. Um, oh, okay. The one little like mini rant I did have um because we both love Carolina Hurricanes and I follow them on Twitter and I also follow like pretty much every team account and they're like tweeting every team good luck and I don't appreciate that 
I don't know why. I see them replying to the Vegas Golden Knights all the time, and I don't know why they decided they're Golden Knights fans. Like, okay, I know- but they also tweeted the stars, like, good luck tonight, buddy, or whatever. And then I scrolled down, and they said, like, almost the same thing to Vegas, and I was, like, offended for, for the stars. And, like, them in Colorado are BFFs. I've accepted that. So, yeah. like, if they want to treat Colorado when Colorado's in, fine. But, like, you got to pick one. Right, because I think they were all they were just sending it to like, like it was worded differently, but every message was was the same of like, we're rooting for you or good luck, buddy or whatever. And I was like, no, no, you cannot say Vegas and stars. You cannot be on both sides. Pick the stars because y'all were wild card buddies last year. Petty has to stick together. You gotta pick something. <laughs> the other thing, so my rave kind of goes along with the petty theme. Mm-hmm. Joe Kelly and the Houston Astros coming to Los Angeles. So there is a mural. Yes. Kelly making the baby face and Joe Kelly posed in front of it. His family posed in front of it. It was beautiful. Making the face. I loved that. And then there was a protest before the Dodgers game, like, because they can't obviously go in the, the game. Right. So all these fans are, like, holding signs and all of that. And Joe Kelly drives by to enter the game and, like, honks at them and waves and is, like, totally, totally living it up with them. And I just, like, I stand so hard. It was perfect. Also, did you notice in the family picture when they're all doing the pouty face that his son is wearing a hat? that has the pouty face on it. I did see that. That was perfect. That it, it was so it was like so many layers of the pouty petty face. And I just I love it so much. And if he just wants to make this his brand, I'm totally here Go for that. Go for it. Might as well. I'm totally here for that. Cuz you know if the the Houston Astros can win a World Series on cheating and make all the money that comes from that, I think a guy can make a little money calling them out for it. Like, why not? I almost want the World Series to be Houston and Dodgers again, if it's guaranteed Dodgers win, but also just because that's great TV. It's not guaranteed that the Astros even make it there, like, to the playoffs to get in. Because they have been awful. They're, they're like, right hovering at 500. They went on a – I think it was a nine-game losing streak. Yeah, which has been great for the Astros' shame tour account. I've been just yes. seeing it in my timeline all the time because they've been terrible. Um, and it's kind of fun to see. And the Rangers are about to play them this week, uh, the beginning of this week, and then they end the season against them. And I just really would just love – the Rangers don't have to sweep them in both series. But maybe the final four-game series, a split at least, would be nice. A series win against Houston would be lovely. Here's the thing that is interesting, though. If Houston misses the playoffs – and is like how bad they are finishes out it's gonna be such a story that the year after they got caught on sign stealing and therefore couldn't do it anymore they suddenly went from great to terrible oh it would be amazing literally (laughs) that's how important it was i would love that let's see okay so they're they're 500 so Seattle's only two games behind them for second place. So if Seattle wants to just, like, go on a tear, yeah. I would love that. And so Seattle's – yeah, there's a lot of good teams, I think. And, I mean, obviously more teams make it, but I think, I think we can get Houston out. 
the league just needs to conspire. Like if a team is, is right above Houston and then the last day they're playing a team who's either very in or very out. I just need that team to let him win. Yeah, it's maybe against the rules, but who cares? Let's see who Seattle ends the season against. Because unfortunately, Houston ends the season against the Rangers. So that seems a little like not sure how well they can get on board with, you know. Just doing that. Um, oh, I gotta pick the right team. Um, Seattle plays the. Ooh, they end against the Athletics for the season. Yeah, but okay. By that time, the Athletics will have like way been in and will have clinched yeah. first. So if yeah. the Athletics can just bring everyone up from the alternate site, and like right, be like, just, hey, y'all need to rest and let Houston just lose. So we gotta let Seattle sweep. Yeah, and so that's what I'm saying. If if we can just collectively as a league decide we're going to let whatever team ace Houston out, I'm totally fine with that. And Someone honestly, send this episode to every Oakland Athletics player, um, their GM, the manager, coaching staff, everyone, and let them know the plan. It's two weeks' notice. Yeah, and they have, <laughs> and they are so dominant right now. Like, it's almost perfect. Because, like, if it was a team, like, jockeying for a position or whatever, they are so good. Like, honestly, who cares? Yeah. Like, I mean, the Rangers did beat them twice this weekend, which was great. But, like, I feel like that was a fluke because, you know, doubleheader and they were playing a lot of games in a row, whatever. It doesn't matter. But, like, if Oakland can just – Oakland, you can win the rest of the games this week. But then your final series, you have to let Seattle win. Yeah, exactly. It's that easy. Do it for the greater good. It's just yes. <laughs> I just I, I it's so obvious. I need I need I need it to happen. So anyways, with that, I guess we will see you all next week where maybe we'll have I think we should have the results yeah. of NHL series and lots of interesting things. So Ooh, next week's episode I could be very like excited and nervous or it could be very like sad but kind of okay like yes I mean I like if they don't win that's like sucks but I and I would love to see them but also if they do win and they have to play Tampa that's terrifying the thing the thing I think would suck is like right now so if they make it and then lose to Tampa like that's one thing but with the fact that they were ahead 3-1 if they don't yeah. make it to the finals, that's pretty heartbreaking. Like that's if they the only n- thing I'm kind of like, oh, great, we had to like, get up three to one. Because like if Vegas just steamrolled through them, then you'd be like, oh okay, like like it, it'd be yeah. disappointing, but it wouldn't be like heartbreaking. Right. But but yeah, they kind. I think they like they really need to make the finals. And if uh, Kirianov could get maybe you know 15 minutes a game, that'd be nice too. I'm tired of complaining about it. And at the end of the day, if they make the finals against Tampa and Hudobin just decides to go full God mode, I mean, anything can happen. It goes beast mode, and then Giryanov gets to play 15 minutes a game. Oh, my God. We would be unstoppable. Well, let's not get crazy with the 15 <laughs> minutes a game. But everything else is reasonable. Let's not go crazy here. But Anyways, we will see you all next week where no doubt we'll have a ton to talk about. So have a good week, everyone. Bye, guys.